made a horrible mistake. My cousin's daughter's birthday party was coming up and we needed, uh, daughter's plural, birthday party was coming up and we needed to get them birthday presents. It involved a quick trip to Target. I offered to go get the presents and I offered to bring both of my sons along with me. I thought that they would enjoy picking out presents for their cousins uh, and I thought that it would earn me some good husband points because it would give my wife a little bit of a break. It turns out I made a horrible mistake. You know what you absolutely should never do under any circumstances? Take kids into the toy aisle when they're not getting the toys. It's a rookie mistake. You hate to see it. If I had a dollar for every time I had to tell one of the boys that we were not here to buy them something, that we were there to buy birthday gifts for their cousins, I could have bought out the store. If I had a dollar for every time they told me something they wanted, I could have bought Target Corporation. Eventually, I just picked two things and started to, to go get the birthday cards. And that is where the temper tantrum reached its climax. With my oldest son on the floor screaming and my youngest son screaming in the cart because I told him that I couldn't carry him and steer the cart so he had to stay seated in the cart and he just was not having it. It was truly like something out of a horrible commercial for online shopping. <laughs> I finally got the two kids moving again. The kids quite unhappy with me and me spent of my patience. We checked out, went home, and I think I went down to the basement for like 45 minutes. <laughs> to be fair, I don't blame the kids. I mean, in the moment, I did. Uh, but now, a couple months removed, with an adult's perspective, or someone like unto an adult's perspective, I can understand how hard it was for them. Being a kid in a toy store, or being a kid in a candy store, all you see are things you want. How can you not ask for them? How can you not express that want and desire? Every one of us has a store, has a place like that. Maybe it's going to Michael's or to Hobby Lobby. Maybe it's going to the sporting goods store. My father cannot, it is impossible for him to get out of Home Depot in under three hours. He could be going for one tiny thing and he's still there for three hours. My mom doesn't understand. Then he says, Mom, try, Kathy, try getting out of church in under 45 minutes. And, but anyways, um, it, this morning we're going to be looking at the second of Wesley's rules on the use of money. And it's a rule that is probably going to be the hardest for us to follow. This month, we are spending some time looking at John Wesley, who is the founder of United Methodism, his three rules on the use of money. In the first week of the series, we talked about how, more than anything else, what we need is wisdom when it comes to the exercise of our personal finances. The basic working principle of this series is that for many of us, while we might feel like we need a bigger pie, what we really need is to be more disciplined and wise in how we use what God has already given us. Wesley's rules help us to be disciplined in how we use our resources so that we can, one, more clearly see the ways in which God has already blessed us, and two, be more faithful in the use of our money. When we see more clearly that God has blessed us, we can let our financial life 
bear witness to the faith that we have. The first rule we talked about last week was earn all you can. There's this strange parable that Jesus tells in Luke's Gospel about a dishonest manager who is about to get fired and on his way out the door, he cancels half of the debts he has under his management. So that way, he will have friends who will be good to him when he loses his job. And then in the shocker of the century, the dishonest manager gets to keep his job because his boss likes his hustle and his moxie. Jesus then praises the dishonest manager and tells his disciples that they need to be equally as wise in the name of the gospel. Wesley took this parable to mean that the starting point for Christians faithfully using their money was to be wise in the world in earning all you can. Wesley said that Christians should exhibit the same hustle. Work hard, succeed, earn all you can. But there were limits. Earn all you can, but by righteous means. You can't cheat or steal your way to more money. Don't earn money in ways that harms other people. Earn all you can by common sense. Be wise. And earn all you can, but never paying more than it is for something than it's worth. Do not sell your soul for riches. Do not sell your body for riches. Do not sacrifice your family to earn wealth. But Wesley's first rule was to earn all you can. And it's a rule I think we are okay with. We might not be used to hearing it in church, but it's how we are conditioned to behave in society. Maybe we aren't programmed to get rich, but we are told to work hard, succeed, and make as much as you can. I mean, has anyone ever had a parent, friend, or confidant tell you not to go for a race? Today's rule is one that is much tougher for us. Wesley's second rule is to save all you can. If we are conditioned to earn all we can, it's for the purpose of being able to, to afford either a certain type of life or certain things that we want. And certainly some of those things involve saving, but that typically is saving for the purpose of spending. I'm saving up to buy a house. I'm saving up to buy a new car. I'm saving up for my child's education. I'm saving up so I can afford my house or my car or my lifestyle in retirement. But all of that earning and all of that saving are oriented towards spending and consumption. Saving all we can is a hard rule for us to follow. Like my sons in the Target toy area, we are constantly bombarded with things we want. We see the ways that the new car or the new TV would make our lives easier. We see the tool or piece of yard equipment that would be perfect for that project that we have had on our list for years. We see the new electronic device that just looks so shiny and cool. Who wouldn't want facial recognition software? We are surrounded by new things to try and new things to buy, especially in the next few weeks. Here is where the Christian faith can help. Here's where being a person of faith can help reframe what it is to save, spend, and manage money. And we see this clearly in our biblical text this morning. Today we are looking at Matthew 25, midway through the chapter. Jesus, this is a parable story Jesus told. Jesus said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For, for, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this story might be familiar to some of you. We trot this story out often when talking about stewardship and also when talking about serving and volunteering in the church. It lends itself nicely to either cause. In other versions of the text, uh, I read from the NIV, but in other translations of the text, what the NIV has translated as bags of gold is labeled talent. A talent in the ancient world was an obscene amount of money. It was more money than the people who would have been listening to Jesus tell this story would have ever had at once. Those who listened to Jesus tell this story would have mainly lived hand to mouth. Some of them might have been able to scrap together a meager savings. The most modest definition of a talent that I could find was 100 denarii. And a denarius was, a denarius, sorry, was um, a day's wage. So, a hundred denarii would have been about half a year's salary. Other definitions of the talent talk about it being the weight of an ox and gold. So somewhere in between. So talent is a measurement of wealth, which lends this to a sermon on money. But obviously in English, talent has a different but quite common meaning. So we can use that meaning to talk about how God gives us gifts and how we are to use our talents, gifts, to honor God. This story really is the utility infielder of parables. That was a joke for baseball fans, and it's November, but sorry. For our purposes, we are going to, use, to talk about the talent as a measure of wealth. This wealthy man goes, who goes on a journey has at least 
eight talents, eight bags of gold. My guess is he had more, but we're not going to quibble over how rich this guy is. He gives some portion of his assets over to three servants. One gets five, one gets two, one servant gets one. For all of them, this has to be the greatest amount of money, the most money they have ever seen in their entire lives. The first two servants take the money they had been given and they follow Wesley's first rule. Earn all you can. So they put the money to work and it grows. By a lot. It's a bull market. Both of the first two servants double their money. Thanks whichever president you think is responsible for market growth right now. The third servant is terrified. Let's be charitable to him because we know his boss won't be. He's probably never had that much money in his possession before. Depending on your definition of the talent, this could be an insane amount of money. Imagine being responsible for someone else's million dollars. Some of us would be like, woohoo, real life stock market game. But there are many of us who would be so scared to lose someone else's literal fortune that we become paralyzed. Before coming to Spirit and Life, I served as an associate pastor for a church uh, that celebrated its 240th birthday while I was there. They had some larger endowment type funds. And as a brand new pastor, this was my first experience with a group of people becoming paralyzed when managing other people's money. I firmly believe that everyone around that table was doing what they thought was best for those funds. But I also know that they were acting contrary to how they behave with their own personal finances. In the end, this final servant is going to be given the business by his boss, fired and sent out to destitution. But his instincts were ones that I have seen others give, and I firmly believe his heart was in the right place. Because what is decidedly worse than taking a whole lot of money and not doing anything with it is taking a whole lot of money and losing it. But what I want us to see in this moment, and what I think can help us follow Wesley's second rule, is seeing not so much how these servants differed in behavior, but by seeing how all three servants were united in their mindset. If there was one thing that united all three of these servants is that they firmly believed and they knew that the money they were given was not their own. It was their bosses. They all realized that the bags of money they had been given weren't theirs. And that served as the basis for their different behaviors. The first two understood how their boss would want their money handled. They know their boss would want his wealth to be put to work, growing in his absence. The third servant equally understands that this bag of gold is not his. He is terrified to be holding that much cash. He knows that it is his boss's money and that if he loses it, his boss will be angered. So he hides it, afraid that if he doesn't, he will lose it. What unites these three servants is that they all equally realize whose money it is they're holding. And that knowledge informs what they each do with the money. The key for us for living into and following rule number two is realizing that our money is not our own. The key for us in saving all we can is realizing that we are but stewards of our wealth. It's not our money. All of it. The money we have, 
we hold in trust on behalf of our God. When this passage is preached in the context of volunteering, we talk about how God has given us each gifts, talents, and spiritual gifts. And we are called to use those gifts in serving God. In the same way, our money, our wealth, our stuff, comes to us as a gift from God. God gives us skills that we can turn into jobs and careers and professions. God gives us opportunity and education. God gives us ways to use our time and our bodies to provide for ourselves and our families. The starting point in talking about how Christians use our money is acknowledging that this money is not our own, that it is a gift from God to us. That's why we don't have fundraising campaigns in the church. We talk about stewardship. It's all a gift from God. What if we really took this seriously for a second? If you really believed that your money wasn't yours, but was given to you by God, to do with it as God would want, what would happen if God were to go through your check record? What would happen if God were to go through your savings and investment information? What would happen if God looked at how you spent your money, what you spent it on, and in general, what you do with your money? At this point, I'm preaching to myself as well. Or put another way, if you knew that in three months, God would be coming to look at how you managed your money over those three months, what changes would you make? Would you behave differently if the boss were coming to look through your books? So we have this pledge card that we have been handing out over the last couple weeks. Some of you have already received it, uh, but we'll send it around anyway for those that have not. And it is, we've been handing it out precisely because of this point. Being a steward is about intentionality. Faithfully using our money is all about intentionality. We want you to approach your finances in prayer. We want you to approach your finances and say, if there's something I could take out that would make me a bit more faithful, what is it? If there's something more I could do, even though give all you can is rule three and that's next week, what is it? To sit and look how your money is being spent and whether or not that lines up with the values and beliefs that you hold dear. Friends, I've tried to be honest in this sermon that saving is hard. Very hard. We are constantly shown ways in which life can be made easier through purchasing and consumption. God's call on us is to use our money to further the purposes of God in the world. We don't talk about financial stewardship merely to meet the financial needs of the church, though we do have needs. We do this because we need help when it comes to saving. I need help when it comes to saving. We need to be reminded that this money is God's money and not ours. And we need to grow in our discipleship so that our bank account, our check record, and our credit card statement reflect the things that we believe and the values that we hold dear. I firmly believe we want to be good stewards. Those of us in this room want to be good stewards. We want to manage God's money so that it reflects what God would want and would be pleasing unto Him. And so we strive to follow Wesley's rules. Earning all we can, saving all we can, and as we'll talk about next week, giving all we can. If you are ready to fill out your pledge form, then when you come forward in a few minutes for communion, I invite you to place it in the offering basket. Um, if you 
want more time to take it home, to pray about it, to discuss it as a family, um, then you are more than welcome to do that. Uh, next week is going to be the, the formal end to this stewardship sermon series and stewardship uh, campaign, if you will. So we, we do ask that um, you do your praying and discussing, discussing um, this week and hopefully arrive at a point where you can, can fill that out. Um, but of course, if you want to bring it in on the first Sunday of Advent, which is December 2nd, something like that, um, we won't turn it away. Um, but as those of us who seek to be stewards, seek to be better stewards of that which God has given and entrusted to our care, let us pray. God, we need your wisdom and we need your help. We need your wisdom when it comes to our finances, when it comes to saving all that we can. Because we see so many things that would make our lives easier. We see so many things that look really cool. We see so many things that we want. Help, help to remind us, God, that more than anything else in this life, what we want is to be a good and faithful servant. What we want is to witness to the things that you care about, to do what you want in this world. And God, when we stumble, when we fail, give us grace. Give us love so that we can continue to try. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're coming forward to communion today. Before we share uh, in a wonderful feast at tables amongst us, we share in this feast with our Lord and Savior. We're reminded that the fellowship that we find here extends to our tables, and the fellowship we find at our tables extends to our church. We remember on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, Again, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Along with these prayers, God, we offer to you the finances of Spirit and Life Church. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and break through in a way that we have not been able. Do what we have not been able to do. Change what we have not been able to change, including you changing us. We pray your power and glory be at work here without limits. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit in your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray together as Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Communion here is at Spirit and Life is open to all. Regardless of age or church membership, we believe this is a way you can encounter Jesus and would invite all who are um, willing to come and do so. We have elements that are free of the most common food allergens, including gluten um, and dairy. Uh, if you require those, just ask your server. And as you come forward for communion, if you do have um, your Keeping Connected card or your offering envelope, uh, I invite you to place that in the offering box as you come forward. For those who are serving, please come forward. Take my 
thanks for the ways in which you shower your grace and mercy upon us. For the ways in which your love is made real in our hearts, in our lives, and out in the world. Grant that we might go into the world, strengthened by your Spirit, to make your love real and to give ourselves for others. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.